drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello, hello and welcome. Season 4, episode 1 of Drive-By Cinema. Yes, you heard correctly. It is the fourth season starting today. With my long-suffering co-host, Paul. <laughs> I'll be my co-host, Richard. Wow, series four. The tetralogy is, has happened, doesn't it? Every season we add is further and further away from the pandemic. Yeah, our reason for existence as a podcast is over the pale blue, blue hills now, isn't it, really? I mean, But what is Drive-By Cinema, Paul? Perhaps we should explain it for the start of season four. I think it was formed... At the beginning of the pandemic, wasn't it? As a reason to to continue living, wasn't it? And reason to antagonistically force one another to watch movies on streaming platforms. And sometimes in the cinema, though. It's not common, is it, when uh, the pandemic was on, you couldn't go out. Very uncommon. But we've been making up for it. But there's still so many films to watch on the streaming services. And what we like to do is do a drive-by. That is to say, we have... a pass at speed on these movies and we indiscriminately fire our opinions <laughs> at everybody <laughs> queuing to go in and ignorances we try to correct those paul don't we well you do i'm just riding shotgun yeah. <laughs> i'm the responsible driver yeah i've not been drinking you probably have <laughs> potentially yes i did have a correction from last season Crikey, that's, that's, that's going back in the anals, isn't it? <laughs> Is it something I said that's going to make me a social piranha? <laughs> Maybe both of us. Maybe just me. When we were talking about Oppenheimer, we were discussing our pre-movie meal at yes. a Korean barbecue. Yeah, you say you never cook ch- kimchi, but you can do, actually. That's right. Yes, you can. Apparently, you can cook kimchi. Apparently Thank you. Whosoever's correction that was. Oh, I mean, I researched it. I looked it up. I was oh, curious. You, I thought, right, okay. let's have a look at whether or not people can cook kimchi. And apparently it picks up the flavour on the barbecue of the cooked meat. So, who yeah. knew? In my mind, kimchi is always kind of an equivalent of coleslaw. It's like fermented it, well, kind of kimchi. I, I mean, it serves as a side dish, isn't it? I think its use on the barbecue grill has been extemporised and now has become part of barbecue culture. But I would never think to put coleslaw on a barbecue. No, no. It wouldn't occur to me. It probably wouldn't be right, would it? I was but calculating how many Korean canteen dishes I ate whilst I was in Korea. And it, I think I ate two a day, pretty much. So I must have had, <laughs> like, over a thousand canteen meals. <laughs> all of which had, you know... When you get on the, me- you know, the metal tray that they serve canteen food on with the, the little dints to store various things and yeah. you know i've had cold kimchi a thousand times so i, I can't m- myself i couldn't really ever conceive of eating hot kimchi <laughs> where were you in korea were you in prison in korea eating <laughs> off <laughs> eating off prison no. plates or whatever they are no no i was just working there and the, uh, the thing is in korea you eat typically you eat in the company right like so any company's gonna have canteen you know yeah Okay. Yeah, I, I towards the end, because, like, you know, at the end of the contract, it was like, oh, you've got a month left. And I was like, yeah, do you mind if I go to Baskin Robbins every day instead? Because I, mean, <laughs> I really like Korean food, but, you know, a year and a half's worth of Korean canteen food can get to anybody, can't it? Surely. Well, you know, any canteen would get old quick, wouldn't it? 
But the only thing nearby, because, I mean, lunch was only 45 minutes, the only thing nearby was a Baskin-Robbins. So. That's so not really was... a very healthy way to eat no, lunch, is it? No, but really, really colourful ice cream. I did leave you with some homework oh. for Lola, Paul. I don't know whether you did oh. it. What? Yeah, you were making claims about whether or not <laughs> they I? could have had <laughs> FM radio. Oh, I did that. And actually, they didn't have... Well, the technology was there... But it yes. certainly wasn't employed this side of the Atlantic, this side of the pond, until the 50s. Well, uh, that's right, because we were busy, first of all, having a war, and second of all, cleaning up after a war. I mean, there was no no one was going to go out and buy new FM transistor radios, were there? And we had no commercial radio. So it was only really when the airwaves got chock-a-block that the, the, the need for FM became apparent. Oh, but the sound quality is so much better. Surely. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, when it first started, were we able to exploit that envelope of, of improved sound quality or not? I don't know. I'm sure that must have been one of the... Key drivers. You know, exactly. You, you, to get people to buy new equipment, you'd have to give them a big advantage, wouldn't you? And FM is pretty good quality, isn't it, when it's properly tuned... Not that anyone would know these days. I mean, it seems unthinkable now, doesn't it, to actually tune a radio in. But but on the on internet, there's just those those radio maps where they've got like every single radio station in the world, haven't they? Yeah, you can effectively change your location and get local radio in different parts of the world. Well, I don't think it's broadcast. Is it? It's all just you know through the through the through the Ethernet kind of stuff. Yeah, they're using. That's right. They're using. They're um, just sort of. Crowdsourcing online all, all streams, the different online yeah. streams, yeah. 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 yeah, I'm putting them on a map, I suppose. However, you know, I did spend a day or two just going through all the radio, well, as many radio sessions in the UK as I could, and there's just an astonishing number these days. What do you mean, going through them? Were you listening to them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, really and- some really spacey stuff, like um, <laughs> mostly Norfolk and places down there kind of thing. It was just... Lots of 24 hours of wibble, wibbly noises kind of stuff is interesting. <laughs> but thousands of radio stations, legal radio stations in the UK. Are there still pirate radio stations? Again, it's probably... I mean, you'd do it online now, wouldn't you, a pirate radio Yeah, exactly. Station, yeah. I, mean, these, the, I mean, these are just streaming, streaming services, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Again, another correction. Are there still pirate radio stations in the UK? I don't know. Hey, Paul, weirdly... Even though this is a completely new season, yes, the movie that we chose last week uh-huh. happens to also have been a found footage movie, and so it does. Let's listen to the music, which, for all <laughs> I know, for this new season, might, be might have radically changed. I don't know. <laughs> Let's sit through the music, and then on the other side, we'll get into this movie for this week. Ah, well, that's a comforting breath of fresh air, isn't it? To hear <laughs> the same old music again. Now, but who knew? Well, right? It could have happened, I don't know. It could, after three years. It might just be that there is an AI tool that I could be employing to get some new music, Richard. Oh, AI composer. That's what we want. <laughs> it's all about the prompt engineering, Paul, though, isn't it? What found footage movie did we decide to watch this week? And how 
Do we find another found footage movie for next week? I don't know. I don't know. But are you ready for my fact dump? Here we go. It's Chronicle Uh-oh. 2012. Okay. So the fact that it is found footage makes sense of the title, doesn't it? It does rather, yeah. Although it's a rather weighty term for, for what essentially is a couple of vlogs. Uh, <laughs> although very interesting vlogs nonetheless. Yeah, 2012. This was a box office smash. Yeah. Absolute smash. Vaguely superheroish. Well, quite strongly superheroish, but a fresh take on the superhero genre, you might say. Is this the um, first superhero movie that we've reviewed? I think it is, yeah. Except for maybe Captain we, Nova. We might share an allergy to some of the more recent kind of Listen, blockbusters. I, I like a good superhero movie, but I'm not sure there's that much to say about them. That's the problem. True. 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 It's It's like... Rom-coms, isn't it? You know, I mean, everybody enjoys a nice rom-com, but they're all the same, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, an absolute smash. But budget fifteen million, it returned one hundred twenty-six at the box office, so very well done. And director, hence, I was going to say, because of that success, mm-hmm. the director Josh Trank, Josh Trank, yeah, he went on to do other things, one of which kind of flopped and kind of nearly ended his career, didn't it? Interestingly, although we, I mean it's probably not time to get into, it, but let's get into it anyway because we started on this. He co-wrote it with Max Landis, okay, uh, yes. but he was brought on board because his first collaborator kind of dropped out, and that was Jeremy Slater, later of the Fabulous, Fab- fabulous Four. There we go. What's so, the Fabulous Four? I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, it's a big movie. <laughs> You mean the Fantastic Four? Yeah, the Fantastic Four, sorry. <laughs> I'm really... I'm, I'm going to make a concerted effort to improve my writing. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, obviously, you know, he, his collaborator went on to huge things, yeah. Although he didn't actually take part in... It wasn't part of the final product that came out. No, but the Fantastic Four was the flop that Josh Trank was involved with. Oh, he was Would involved with been... it too. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. I mean, there have been several Fantastic Four movies, at least two, if not three, and they haven't done very well, generally. They're the sort of red-headed stepchild of the MCU. <laughs> Max Landis, though, he's had some very unpleasant accusations levelled at him, hasn't he? I don't know. The Wait a minute, have we reviewed one of his movies before? Max Landis? I'm not sure. Oh, OK. I mean, it's something you could have researched, Paul. <laughs> But, I, I, um, I wasn't aware. Josh Trank really threw him under a bus. He said, hearing these rumours, he thinks they're probably true. So you won't have anything more to do with him. I see. What's it about, Paul, then? What, the rumours or the movie? <laughs> the, the movie. movie. <laughs> right, it's all about Andrew, right? It, it centres around Andrew, who is... I mean, they look quite old for, you know, senior high school students, but they are senior high school students. And it, it it revolves around the trio of them, Andrew and Matt, who turns out to be his cousin, and a popular classmate, Steve Montgomery, who's wants to be president or wants to get into politics, that kind of thing, a golden boy. And yeah, the strange occurrences that happen after they fall down a hole. Andrew is a troubled child. His father yeah. is... A violent drunk, and he assaults his son on a regular basis, we must assume. Now, I guess his father would try to justify this with the fact that his wife is seemingly terminally ill, yeah. Yeah, I I guess she's got cancer, but could be 
yeah. some terminal disease in any event. And his and dad he, was a firefighter, but but he's, now, he's yeah he's had to retire from an injury. Yeah, he's he's on you know food stamps and benefits, looking after well one from an injury, but now looking after Andrew's mum. Okay, so the whole situation isn't great for Andrew. And of course, because of the way medicine works in the United States, they can't afford the medication that his mum needs, which no doubt drives his father crazy with guilt, grief, upset. We're given a lot of really complex moral angles, aren't we, about the whole the driving force of this movie, which is the fact that Andrew is suffering from domestic abuse from his father. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have an easy time at school. He might be what is termed a loser or a misfit. His cousin is a more confident soul, isn't he? Has decided, elected to take himself out of the high school popularity contest in a affected and self-conscious way and is engaged with the philosophy of, I was going to say Schopenheimer, but it's Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer, yeah. Well, he's a philosopher, isn't he, it seems, or a wannabe philosopher. Yeah. Andrew's plan to protect himself from his father is the pretext for him having a video camera all the time. That's right, he's going to record it all. And he's bought an old-fashioned-y kind of slightly shonky video camera, a tough one, though, and he's going to keep it on all the time to make sure anything his father does is recorded. Smart move. I mean, it's not a bad idea, is it? Until we get the opening scene where his dad's saying, open up this blooming door, and Andrew gets a crack around the head or something and gets told to finish his homework, and that's when Andrew turns to the camera and says, look, I'm going to record all this. The next day, he gets a lift into school from his cousin Matt to do a somewhat anachronistic kind of like vlog of school life that you think wouldn't be happening in 2012, but it's an old video camera, so why not do all things with it? And on the way, in the car, they listen to Jesse J. They do, yeah, and Matt Price has talent. Tag. That's right, Matt has talent to, like, I'll, I'll, to be like a carpool singer, doesn't he? <laughs> I really like Jesse J's song, Price Tag. It's good. I think I should put it on the oh, start of season four. Worth reminding people, there is a Spotify playlist with songs related to the movies that we've reviewed through four seasons now. Yeah, I'll maybe pop Price Tag on the end of the playlist. What do you think? Absolutely. You've never listened to it, have you, Paul? I haven't, no. <laughs> no. No. Anyway, sorry. So, yeah, I mean, they have a, he has a bad day at school, doesn't he? His cousin is just bunking off and he says, I'll pick you up later. His camera gets thrown around, doesn't get broken. He eats lunch on the bleachers watching the football field. And one of the yeah. cheerleaders comes up and tells him to stop taking movies because it's creepy. Really creepy. Yeah. But she has a point. 2012, I guess not everybody was always videoing themselves for TikTok, were they? Because TikTok hadn't happened yet. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Did, I, did my phone have a decent camera function in 2012? Sure, it had a camera. And sure, it could even probably take video, but you probably didn't have very much storage space and you had probably nowhere to store loads of video and it would eat your battery. Early days for vlogging, I think. So he's been told not to, like, video people, but he's not really responsive to input, is he, Andrew? Okay, he's a bit cut off from the world and from other people's concerns. Anyway, you know what's interesting about him? Mm-hmm. Although he is a bit of a nerd and a bit of an introvert, and perhaps this is more to do with how the film's mechanism has to work, he doesn't stop filming all the time, even though he's bullied for it, accused of being a pervert by a cheerleader. 
and mm. you know is generally being ostracised for his behaviour. He carries on filming, doesn't he? Which is good because otherwise we wouldn't see what's happening, would we? Exactly. Yeah. And he takes it the next day or evening to a rave. They've got a proper rave going on. Casey, we will like, meet, meet meet you later. Says it's a barn dance, but it, it's how do we know rave. it's a rave? Because everyone's got those little glow stick plasticky things, and they're whooping. They are whooping. Stop. Matt advised him not to take his camera, but again, he insists that he will take his camera. As a found footage movie, they do stick pretty slavishly to the format, don't they? I thought it was impressive, yeah. Yeah, they make the characters bend over backwards to make sure everything is always covered. Like, yeah. diegetically, if you like. And all the music is diegetic as well. What does diegetic mean? <laughs> in film, diegetic music is where it's happening in, in the, the movie, ah. and it's not like a soundtrack that we only the audience hear. See, yeah, it's kind of environmental in that sense. Yeah, really. it's naturalistic. Yeah. yeah. So Andrew gets punched again. Well, he gets punched this time for videotaping girls in the rave, uh, which prompts him to leave and take a breather outside. They do spot another camera person, don't they? There's a it's girl. Casey, there. yeah, but she gets I mean, she gets the pass, doesn't she? She's really cool, isn't she? She's a properly cool camera person. And she really does vlog her life. Again, yeah. she's a pioneer in that sense. Pioneer, definitely. Well done, Casey. Andrew has to go outside to clean his camera lens. Ah, that's what he goes outside for. And probably to take a breather because he just got thumped. Matt is trying to get off with Casey, but not very well. He says he has a quote. He says that Young said parties are just people seeking widespread validation. Oh, Young. Yeah. Oh. It doesn't really impress Casey, does it? It doesn't. No, no, no. It doesn't at all, in actual fact. I mean, she's a bit of a sass, isn't she? Has to be said. Yeah, I think Young's probably right, though, in that sense. Bit of a trivial point to make, but... I think Casey makes a point. Oh, right, okay, too cool for school, but yet here you are. <laughs> Which is fair. But I, this is all engineered so that we can meet Steve, who's outside, isn't it? Steve comes to ask Andrew if he'll come and film something that he and Matt have found in the woods. And Andrew's like, do I know you? Because, I mean, Steve's like the golden boy. And also, what the hell were you and Steve doing out here in the woods? Which yeah. was a bit weird, wasn't it? I thought there was going to be like a, a homoerotic kind of overtone. But they've discovered something, so... They haven't really got to the bottom of it. Maybe they were doing drugs or something in the woods. That would but I, I, didn't they say they discovered it before or something? What we're about to find out. They implied that more people had seen... Let's cut to the chase here. What he leads them to is just a hole in the ground. <laughs> just a hole and, in the ground, yeah. I mean, it's honestly not that impressive, and I don't know why everyone was getting so excited about it. But Steve's a nice guy. He's really friendly, because I mean, he doesn't need to take Andrew under his wing, but he knows that Andrew is probably Matt, his mate's cousin. And uh, he's got a camera. That, oh, he's got a camera. Okay, so... There's an aspect of, of exchange here, isn't there? Okay, but, you know, Steve's like, I oh, remember you, I've got a great name for faces. You're Andrew, aren't you? So he takes Andrew to photograph the magical hole. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird hole, agreed. It's got kind of a black, kind of shiny, rocky interior to it. And it seems and it gives, to go quite deep, doesn't it? And it gives off a giant echoing boom. But when they shout down, no echo comes back, which is weird. Steve jumps in, like, yeah. quick as you like. Pronto. And Matt follows him. He does. And Andrew reluctantly follows both of them. Bravely, I would imagine, follows them, doesn't he? 
Apparently it smells really bad down there. Matt starts talking about Plato's allegory of the cave. He does talk about Plato's allegory of the cave. Not sure that it's really relevant here. Because I don't think Plato's point was really to do oh, with speleology. Okay, so the one thing it? I have researched is not relevant. Great. <laughs> well, then you, you can tell us what was Plato going on about. I don't think he was really talking about caves, was he? No, he wasn't. Okay, but I think it might have relevance to the whole movie kind of thing. Uh, uh-huh. He's talking about education versus lack thereof. Really? What, the shadows on the wall of the caves? Well, there's a fire in, in the cave and there are prisoners chained to, chained to the wall and facing the wall. And their only perception of what's happening is the shadows cast on the wall by the flames of the fire. I assumed so, it's talking about the impoverishment of our perceptual experience. Perceptual experience, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But for Plato, there's a higher level of representation because this is imperfect representation of our world, and that boils down to the natural sciences, mass geometry, and logic, and the theory of forms, which I didn't look into. Plato's famous for his solids, isn't he? <laughs> the six Platonic solids. Is that right? Is he? The tetrahedron, the cube, the octahedron, ah. the duodecahedron, and the isosahedron. That's five. Yeah, five platonic solids. Let's go with that. Well, he did well, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, good job, Plato. <laughs> Very well done. Yeah, I'm not really sure what it's going to do with the cave, but I think it might have to do with being able to sense more about reality than, than what we commonly can do, which might be a theme in a superhero movie. Anyway, pretty cut to the chase. They get to a large kind of spider web of entangled luminescent dendrites, don't they? It's quite a nice special effect. I did like it. And they're encased in the shifting roots of dendritic roots that's kind of encased in glowing crystals that sort of pulse that rainbow transition that you would get in cheap sort of lights in the early 2000s. And, of course, Steve goes right ahead and touches it. He does. Doesn't know what it is, but there you go. Gets a nosebleed. He does. He gets a nosebleed. I think they all get nosebleeds. And it all goes crazy. Yeah, everything warps and we cut to black, don't we? Quite impressively, I thought. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Oh, they're dead. Surely not. I think the camera cuts out, doesn't it? It, It's like the camera Ah, is being affected. So we lose the image, don't we, as the audience. You're right. They They do make sure that it all fits in, don't they? We cut to a different time, some time later now. Andrew must have got a new camera, and we now see them out in the backyard of one of their houses, about to do what they call the ball test. This involves Steve chucking a ball at Matt, which clocks him clean in the face. (laughs) They reverse positions. He maybe throws a real curving ball that comes way off screen and then back in and hits Steve, until finally one of them throws, Steve throws the ball at, Andrew? Yeah. And what happens? Andrew, by power of mind or something, stops the ball dead in front of his face. And gets a nosebleed for his trouble. Now, they say telekinesis, but is this telekinesis or psychokinesis? Telekinesis, I think the internet decided upon. I don't think there's really a difference between psychokinesis and telekinesis. Okay. Being thought there was. In both cases, it's moving things with the mind remotely, isn't it? Telling, yeah, I, I don't know where Bing's getting this one because point six on Bing was saying it said you can't change form with one of them, and I thought, oh, don't know about that. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I think it it, it, it had taken a variety of uh, sources for its information. So let's say telekinesis. Yeah. By the way, pretty good special effects here. I thought 
Yeah. Really kind of understated because it's a shot that they're doing, you know, from a video camera. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting cuts, you know, close-ups or any of the normal film vocabulary of film, you know, where they change shots or they zoom in or they get a close-up shot. So you're seeing it as you would see it if someone was filming it in the back garden with a, you know, a smartphone or a handy cam, aren't you? You're yeah. seeing like a weird paranormal event. Like Paranormal Activity, which is another found footage film, I suppose. It's quite yeah, an mean, authentic it, experience. So we see the beginning of Superpowers, but in a very natural kind of backyard muted colours of the Pacific Northwest, Coast. yeah. Because North West, yeah. here's another connection, Paul. A recent film that we watched was set in the same region. What, what film was that? What, what film was set in Seattle? Or it's, yeah. it's on Virons? It was, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, let me help you out. It was Safety Not Guaranteed, the one with Aubrey Plaza, the time-travelling guy. It was just last month, Paul. <laughs> Enlighten me. You know, there's an advert in a newspaper. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Was that set in Seattle? Yeah, that, that was set in Seattle. As was this film. Although this film, although it is set in Seattle, is actually filmed mostly in Cape Town, apparently. Whoa. Yeah, apparently it was cheaper to ship a load of American cars to South Africa. <laughs> Whoa. That's tax breaks for you. So we get an indication that Andrew maybe has more of the power, doesn't he? Or he's more precocious in taking on board the powers that the whole has given them. Well, they play with Lego, don't they, next? Or it Legos. is, Lego blocks, yeah. Legos, as the Americans say. And Andrew managed to build an entire model of the Space Needle with his mind alone. Yeah, Andrew is, like, are... really good at this. And then they pontificate. Is it the radiation? Is this the government? Shall we go in the hall again? And they decide to go in the hall again, but it's filled in. It's been filled in. And, and when they're there, the police arrive. Lots of police and a helicopter arrives. And they say, you can't be there. Ground's unstable. So they buzz off. Now, Andrew's very self-involved. And although his father is really awful to him, he's not that close to his mum, is he? He's not really... I mean, she's there on her deathbed. And we don't really see Andrew tending to her, taking care of her. However, he's not the, doting over her, no. No, no that's no, true. He's, not. Uh, he's taking her out in a wheelchair to the docks. Yeah. Right. And mum says, I need you to say this for me. You're stronger than this. And he willfully misinterprets it as saying, I am stronger than this, doesn't he? Because I think what mum wants Does him he? to say Oh, is, I didn't notice yeah, that. Yeah, I think what mum wants to say uh. is, mum, you're stronger than this. And he doesn't. He just says, I'm stronger than this. So we get an idea uh. that although Andrew's been through a lot, he's kind of... You think the seeds of evil are within him? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a certain callousness to him already, isn't there? Another important thing happens as well about now, which is that Andrew learns how to hold his camera up with telekinesis. He does, yeah. Which is possibly the most contrived found footage device, isn't it? <laughs> so they can now, do beautiful pan shots, yeah. Yeah, and now they can have all three of them in shot. <laughs> Simply through the power of the mind. Hey, hey, you know, fake it till you make it. I mean, why not? Matt, meanwhile, he doesn't have such lofty or artistic goals. He's getting a leaf blower to blow the skirts of the girls at school up. We did, we got a bit of leaf blowing up skirting. In fact, now we get a really fun montage. It exploded into fun, didn't it, about them and their developing Harry Potter powers kind of thing. But they go to the toy store, don't they? Their mind meld, yeah. They, they they talk about, you know, it's like getting your body fit. You've got to get your brain fit. Yeah, Toy Store is, is, is the source of maybe three or four of these little little skits. 
Yeah, they're like picking up teddy bears and stuff and making them dance for little kids and pulling someone's shopping trolley away from them. Shopping cart, as they would say. But it culminates in Andrew kind of smacking someone, doesn't it? Or he uses his power on a person. And he was trying to get the chewing gum out of the guy's mouth. Ah, oh, yeah, that's it. But he goes a bit wrong, I think. Not intentionally. They retreat back to that to home base and then they practice stabbing each other's hands with forks and avoiding being impaled. Yeah, I suppose the idea is that you can shield yourself with your telekinetic ability. So we can see their powers growing steadily to the extent that they're now in a parking lot and Steve manages to move a parked BMW. Yeah, the woman who parked it comes back not knowing exactly where it was or it was just behind her. I'm not sure I would remember if I found my car in a, in a different row. Whatever happened, like, I don't know, in the late 80s, 90s, like, any sort of, like, provincial car park had, like, apple, grape, orange levels instead of, like, one, two, three, four. What? That, yeah, like, you know, kindergarten classes aren't, weren't called class one, class two, class two. They're called class apple, class grape, class yes. whatever. You're saying this happened in car parks? Car parks, yeah. You, instead of going what, to, in, like, in the story United four, Kingdom. Yeah, instead of going to story four, you go to story grape or... Story Apple, you know, or well, that kind of thing. It was a common thing in three or four, you know, where I lived. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, colour coded you... too, like red apple level, like it, green grape level. Were you in a pedal car, Paul, when you were doing this? <laughs> <laughs> green grape level, like orange, orange level. So it was easy to remember which level you were on. Did you have a little trailer behind your little pedal car? <laughs> all your stuff. A little was. Tonka trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, they're driving home in uh, Matt's rather nice swanky sort of a retro car through the countryside and they start to get tailed, don't they? Somebody's hogging their tail. A Tailgating redneck, I guess. them, beeping them. In a, yeah. in a sudden great big Jeep or something, isn't it? It's like a Grand Cherokee or something. So instead of brake testing them, what does Andrew do with his well, mind? Well, he just, he swipes it off the road with his mind powers. <laughs> he overdoes it again, though. They go clean through the Armaco, down a steep slope through the trees and wind up uh, this vehicle winds up upside down in a creek or a pond or something Andrew's not too eager to go and save the guy is he? But the others obviously they are guilty and shocked and they stop the car Steve runs down pulls this guy out of the sinking vehicle. Andrew's saying don't call the police and of course they call the police later on Matt is vehemently remonstrating with Andrew you put someone in hospital you, you know we need oh, rules sets, for this. He sets three rules, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. They were... Not when angry. No living things. Don't no use it things. anger. Don't Not do it in public, public. Which is weird. But there we go. Well, I think they break all of them immediately. Because <laughs> <laughs> the next thing is Steve is inviting them to like a disused sawmill somewhere. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's not in public. We, we get some it? nice locations. We get a scrapyard later on, don't we, too? There are some lovely locations, true. Presumably in, in South Africa, for all I know. So somewhere in the boondock says that there's a sawmill, as you say. And uh, guess what? He says, look up everybody, because they can't find him. And he's levitating. Yeah, he's actually holding himself up with the power of the mind. Amazing. That is doing it on a living thing. Right, I mean, you are a living thing. So that's rule one broken. But they start flying really fast. The next scene is whipping through the clouds. So Andrew's obviously videotaping it with a camera. I thought this was a great sequence. Great, yeah. It's like wingsuit stuff, isn't it? Like, Superman never felt this good, did it? 
Have you watched any wingsuit videos? I have actually. Yeah, yeah. That's terrifying, isn't it? To say they like to go really close to the cliffside and the crags and stuff. It's really, it's heart and mouth stuff, isn't it? Well, the upshot is Matt is crap at this, and Andrew's really good. They're all, I mean, they're all pretty good at flying, aren't they? Oh, they pretty good. Have a little yeah. game of football midair, don't they? They've got a football with them. They kick it. The only concern is how do we get down? And I was thinking my concern would be, are you on a flight path? And as soon as I thought that, guess what happens? <laughs> yeah, well, a jet swishes by through the clouds and knocks them all sick. They avoid nicely being ingested by the engines, which yeah. I think would be the real hazard there. Is it because of the collision that one starts plummeting to Earth or something? Yes, Steve is falling. And Andrew saves him. He races down and collects Steve. But they all wind up tumbling to the ground. Andrew's got a big nosebleed from having to stop Steve's fall. Steve's eternally grateful. Uh, And then we have a quick... We cut quickly to uh, a scene where Steve is using his powers to improve his sex life. And then they meet up in the library where they decide to go to Tibet. And Andrew has revealed that he is a virgin. Ah. Which I guess might be more context for him and his evil ways. I think the film is saying, really, that Andrew just needed to get laid. Yeah, or beat it. I mean, maybe his dad doesn't want him to beat his meat or all that kind of stuff. Or... <laughs> well, he gets very angry if he doesn't open the door when asked, doesn't he? So oh, wow, probably has yeah. No privacy. So maybe, yeah, he can't take his favourite sock. That's why he keeps having nosebleeds. <laughs> <laughs> it would do it to any young man, wouldn't it? My gosh. That's, I okay. think that's what, what you get in anime, isn't it? Is that what nosebleed means in anime? Because <laughs> there's all these sort of coded things, aren't there, in anime? There's a sort of vocabulary of coded. There is, yeah, there is. A, you're right, yeah, I was reading about that, but I've forgotten all about it. You're you right, a, there you is. You need a little glossary, don't you, of things. What, what does it mean when they get a bead of water on their... You're right. Sort of on their chin or cheek, I don't know. And then there's there's that symbol that can appear. It's like a hash mark can appear on the forehead, which I think is like a throbbing vein, but I'm not sure, you know, when they're getting angry. Or possibly turned on. It's always blank or turned on in anime, isn't it? I I believe. (laughs) We've got a few quick scenes where we've got set up a talent show that's coming later on. First of all, we've got to find out that Matt is really into Casey the sassy vlogger. So he goes around and knocks on a door and tries to repair some of his image damage that happened at the at the illegal rave. It goes badly, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. This is another important thing and another bit of commitment to the found footage thing. We only see Matt uh, visiting Casey because, because Casey Casey's a vlogger. is videoing herself. You're and right. so we see it from her camera's point of view over her shoulder. It's very clever, isn't it? Steve mentions to Andrew uh, the winter break has come up and he's got to do the talent show with his newfound powers. And then we get Andrew being sussed out by his dad, who says, how are you getting to school so quickly because Matt isn't picking you up? Obviously, Andrew's flying to school. Cut to the talent show. Where Steve is apparently the MC or something. He is, yeah. Or he's part of Andrew's act. I'm not sure. Both, I think, in actual fact. Andrew emerges on stage in a smart suit that he's lent from (laughs) Steve. Gets a frosty reception, as you might imagine. They don't know what to think, do they, Paul? Yeah, what's he doing? How dare he? What's he going to do? What's his talent? How dare he turn up? Well, he pulls out a deck of cards and he fans them. But while he's doing that, he gets nudged or he trips over and he spills the cards on the ground. Mm. And everyone's kind of laughing. And he, he acts like he's upset by this. 
and then he nonchalantly levitates all the cards back into his hand to the rapturous response from the audience. Then juggles balls and makes them float in the air, and then tightrope walks. I'm not sure that was that impressive. Is that tightrope walking or is that slackline walking? I don't know. Do you know the difference? Well, one's tight and one's slack. One's slack, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure he got the order of impressiveness in his act correct, but nonetheless, he's won over, it seems, the entire school year. Yeah. But I think he gets a sense now. These nascent powers can, can change his world, can't they? And on the way to the after-show party, Matt gives him a, a foreshadowy-style warning about hubris. A, yeah, an opposite piece of advice. Letting stuff go to your head. So yeah, Steve's throw this giant after-show party. I don't know whose house it is. Is that Steve's house? I don't know. Maybe, perhaps. I think it probably is, isn't it? It's a great big house, anyway. At this party, a girl with red hair Mm -hmm. flirts with Andrew, invites him to play beer pong, which, of course, he's supernaturally good at. With red solo cups, yeah. With red solo cups. When he wins the beer pong, she snogs him. Yeah. And obviously... Ultimately, you know, she's going to take him upstairs. upstairs kind of yeah. And Casey is being quite nice to Matt, even though he's kind of flunked twice now. They have a mutual vlog moment, don't they? When they're vlogging each other. He hands the cam to his friend Steve. Andrew hands the cam over as he goes upstairs. But then Steve to follows him up. To his sherry, yeah, to wet his whistle. And as he goes upstairs, the redhead girl is coming out, distraught, covered in vomit. He finds Andrew there with his pants down clearly he'd been sick on the girl whilst she was trying to give him a blowjob i see yeah now i completely misinterpreted that scene <laughs> really well you tell me what you thought was going on <laughs> i thought that him having gone down the hole made him ejaculate green <laughs> <laughs> him having gone down what hole <laughs> well him having gone down the original <laughs> mysterious hole in the forest made him, you know, ejaculate green and that had repulsed him. No, Paul, it was quite simple. He'd been drinking and he said he doesn't drink. Oh. And he wasn't oh, used to the yes. alcohol. He was feeling queasy and the intense feelings of the arousal. His head was swimming dizzily because and of the arousal. He, yeah, and he was sick on him. Yeah. Andrew is kind of humiliated, isn't he? And we mm. see him next at home. Videoing himself, mm, playing with a spider. Yeah. He's playing with a spider. Yeah. And he makes it levitate and for a moment. Good if then, later on there was a Ziggy Stardust song to go with this spider, wouldn't it? Oh, there is! <laughs> he pulls the spider apart with his mental powers, dismantles it. Andrew is really concerned because his mum's got no medicine, so he's shouting for his dad, where the hell are you? Dad is busy rifling through Andrew's bedroom. And he's found his camera. Found his five hundred dollar camera. What the hell have you got this expensive camera for? When Andrew's I'm scraping money together. Have you watched any of it? He's obviously watched a bit of it and not found the footage of superhero action. Yeah, uh, and we get a fight, don't we? His dad goes for him, but this time Andrew fights back and actually uses his powers and he throws his dad onto the ground, doesn't he? Well, now. This is the second time that they get a mutual bat signal nosebleed, don't they? Oh, uh, so yeah, that's right. Whenever Andrew gets these sort of superpower rages, the other boys suddenly develop nosebleeds. And Matt's learned to recognise this as the bat signal. Well, Steve finds him, though. I don't know about Matt. 
Steve uh, finds Andrew floating in a storm cloud above the city. And Andrew's anger just erupts into the storm, doesn't it? And a lightning stroke interrupts the camera and goes black. And oh. again, there's now a pause in time, presumably. Because oh. the next thing we see is images of a funeral. We don't even know whose funeral it is. But we it transpires. Steve. Yeah. yeah. Steve apparently was found dead, hit by lightning. Matt confronts Andrew. He knows. He knows that it's all to do with Andrew's inability to corral, corral his newfound powers. And Andrew is guilty. He's apologising to Steve's grave for accidentally killing him. Obviously, it was his good friend. One of his few friends, let's face it. Arguably, since Matt is his cousin, this is his only real friend. Yeah. Anyway, back to life, back to reality. He's going back to school, and you might think he he'd experienced some newfound popularity, but no. Okay, words got around about the vomit, the vomit blowjob or whatever. And, and the redhead uh, girl is there, and she's laughing, and giggling with her friends. Oh dear! And then the bully Wayne. comes back at him. Yeah. Wayne, you know his name. Yeah, you got all these guys pegged. Paul knows every bully in every movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do some kick-ass action here. So anyway, so Wayne is mocking him and Andrew just loses it, doesn't he? Obviously. His anger management issues are out of control and he pulls out three of the bully's teeth from across the way there. Who oh, went? And that would be bad enough. But then we see him, Andrew, in the toilets regarding the teeth that he's pulled out and how he did it and thinking about why some of them broke and one of them came out cleanly and stuff. And it's quite a creepy scene, isn't it? It's showing that he's a bit of a psychopath, really, isn't it? Well, he comes out with his apex predator theory, doesn't he? But I think this is at the scrapyard. Yeah, the next scene is in a junkyard, as they call them in the United States. And in the background, there's another rusty vehicle. A lion does not feel guilty when it kills a gazelle. We do not feel guilty when we crush a fly. So it's all this kind of evolutionary survival of the fittest stuff, and he's obviously seeing himself as an apex predator. And as he reaches the culmination of his soliloquy, he grips his hand and the car in the background crushes. Battle of the machines. Hey, Sarah might need his help. So, Paul, how do you think they did that scene? Not sure. You think it was CGI? Uh, I don't know, actually. I mean, it was, it, it was also naturalistic. I never really... I never really thought about, I never really tried to conceive about how they went about the extensive special effects in this movie. Which were generally really good. This was actually, I mean, when I saw it, I thought, wow, that's some cool CGI that they've done there. But in fact, they did it with a car and they got a load of hydraulic things to suck the Ah, the panels in at the right time. So it was done for real. It was really cool. Now... Andrew's mum is... Well, I mean, she's on her last legs, isn't she? She's having real difficulty breathing. They can't afford the medicine. I think it's come to a point... I mean, why didn't Andrew try to use his powers to to make her better? I think he does at one point, doesn't he? Doesn't he turn her over? He turns her over, doesn't he? When he's leaving, as he's leaving the house, he tenderly turns his mother over onto her side because it's easy to breathe, isn't it, on your side? Mm. That's what they were doing in the COVID era, wasn't it? And he goes to the pharmacy and he, first of all, tries to get the meds, but the pharmacist tells him that will be $700 for the medicine. Mm-hmm. So he comes back, he gets dressed up, doesn't he, in his father's old fireman's outfit. 
uh, and his breathing apparatus, I guess to cover his face, goes to the street lowlifes that live on his street, shakes them down for money. Initially, you know, they laugh at him because he looks a bit ridiculous, let's face it. But he beats them up with his mind powers, takes one of their wallets. There's not enough. It's certainly not $700. So he goes to rob a, a gas station. He empties the contents of the cash register, the till, into his backpack with his telekinesis. And as he's leaving, the guy who he'd just like pushed over, not knocked out maybe, chases him out with a shotgun. Mm. He fires at Andrew on the station forecourt and ignites the petrol fumes and a massive ball of fire erupts. Mostly and because Andrew heard the sound and, and diverted the gun away as it was firing into a petrol pump. Is that oh, right? is that what happened? Oh, mm. uh, okay. Okay, it makes more sense. Well, there's a big explosion. It sets Andrew on fire, doesn't it? And he's lying on the ground, burning. And I guess we must be seeing all of this through a camera that he has been manipulating with his mind powers all this time. And also the CCTV. Which, oh, yeah, that's right. We're starting now to see through security cam footage, aren't we? Yeah. Which leads the police to put him under arrest in a hospital. He winds up in hospital with his dad weeping at his bed. And his dad is saying that his mother is dead now. And he's daddy's angry, he's furious. because He's, he's essentially blaming Andrew, isn't he? He's saying she wouldn't have died if I wasn't spending all night looking for you when you went missing. That's right, yeah. We then switch to security cam footage from the hospital security desk. Not before we've heard on the ECG scan his heart rate or whatever. He's monitoring, showing increasing signs of agitation whilst being shouted up by his dad. So we know uh, he's getting angry. He's getting angry, yeah. And suddenly the windows explode in that room on the security cam footage. Well, it's okay because Matt's got a nosebleed, so that's the bat signal, isn't it? Matt's with Casey, isn't he? And they've been getting on very well together. Really well. But they see now on the TV, on the news, a news flash that there has been a bomb in the city centre in, in the hospital. And you see pictures of the hospital sort of block quite a tall building and there's smoke pouring out of one of the windows. Matt knows immediately what's going on, I think. Or that, yeah, I think Matt's at this point, he's in a quandary. He's looking up there and he, I think he realises he's got to reveal his powers in front of people if he's going to have to stop Andrew doing what he's about to do, which is obviously he's about to levitate his dad out of the hospital, flaming hospital window and drop him to the ground. Matt has driven to the hospital with Casey and he's looking up at the scene when Andrew flies out holding his, his own father and drops him. Of course, Matt shoots up and catches Andrew's father. We go full, full superhero mode, don't we? Here We get a nice, really nice air, mid-air battle, don't we? Oh, yeah, this is superheroes having a fight mode isn't it super villain versus superhero matt jumps in his car a helicopter gets sort of thrown at the car from somewhere unseen at that point casey's of course filming this in her vlogger mode andrew is attacking them picking cars up he pops their car on top of the seattle space needle <laughs> shout out to seattle matt and andrew have this face off don't they yeah right matt the mid-air negotiator well done Trying to talk him down. Again, a little bit more found footage mechanism going on here. Because as Andrew's hovering next to the Space Needle, obviously there's loads of tourists in the gallery and the revolving restaurant stuff. And they're all looking out of the window at this floating man. And he 
uses his powers. He breaks all the windows and he brings all of the phones and the cams. So, yeah, the camcorders and whatever else that they've got. And he surrounds himself with them so everyone can see him. Even though he's in a hospital gown and... I am an apex predator. He launches himself one final time. Matt, and they they collapse on the ground, don't they, somehow? Yeah, they wind up on the ground, surrounded. Andrew is knocking the cops back in his rage. Um, now, I thought, is this going to revolve around that kind of thing? I don't know what era of movie it was where somebody's in disguise... And the police face who they think the villain is and somebody disguises the villain. They don't know who to shoot. I mean, at this point, you've got two people with superpowers. And I thought, oh, <laughs> they're going to sh- they're gonna shoot Matt instead of Andrew and it's all going to end horribly. But they don't. Well, they do, don't they? They do, they do shoot a, Matt. They shoot his finger off, don't they? <laughs> they shoot him a little bit. Yeah. yeah, but as he's got his hands up and he's lying on the ground, I mean, he's not the one really they should be shooting, is it? So we do go down that path a little bit. But uh, Andrew's just behaving terribly, isn't he? You know, so I think it's, <laughs> it's obvious to the Encordon sort of SWAT team that it is Andrew they need to be concerned with. Matt ends the fight. There's a statue that they've wound up next to of like a Native American, I think, uh, holding yeah. a spear, a bronze so, statue. And whilst Andrew is distracted by being in the midst of his rage, Matt takes the spear from the statue and, and launches it, stakes Matthew Andrew through the heart, doesn't he? And he then flies away and escapes the police. That's Matt. Would it be good if it was a statue of Schopenhauer, wouldn't it, or something like that? (laughs) Coming full circle. I think it was. Matt's going to fly away to Bermuda and we're going to see him on a deck chair sipping tequilas or maybe sort of levitating tequilas. But no, where does he go? He goes to Tibet. Tibet. That's where Andrew said he wanted to to go. To honour Andrew. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, he makes a point of saying at the end he's vlogging, isn't he? This makes is for you, Andrew, yeah. He tells him that he loves love him. You. Why does Why he still love, love Andrew? I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, it. I mean, Andrew, okay, he had his reasons for going bad, maybe. But it doesn't really excuse killing all those people. And well, <laughs> just omnipotent rage, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so there we are. Found footage, superhero, crossover. What did you think, Paul? I was really, really impressed by this. Like, I wasn't at the beginning. I was thinking, oh, God, this is going to be lame. Uh, <laughs> but then it quickly ramps up, doesn't it? And uh, one, I think it's a really good decision. It was really lighthearted for, you know, the first 20 or 30 minutes. And I, I kind of like that, that slide into, well, depraved behavior, really. It was good. Yeah, I, I just enjoyed it generally. I was surprised by it. I found it immensely fresh, even now, what, 10 years later. I really like the Seattle setting. I think we should see more movies set in Seattle. You know, because it's got all this rainy kind of mm. gloominess to it, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> contextual know? superhero action, I think, is something that we need more of. You know, fewer spangly suits, more like amazing superhero or superpowers being demonstrated in bad weather, definitely. <laughs> it just makes it more believable, doesn't it? It makes it just so much more, well, not real, but. Realistic, in a sense, sort of way. I guess we usually start with acting. We don't have to start with acting because it's season four. We can make our own rules. Let's start with acting. It was brilliant. I really liked it. I thought it was really convincing. I, you know, I thought Andrew as the apple going bad wasn't overdone necessarily. You know, he's just quietly dodgy, isn't he, all the way through, but progressively more so until he peels off his layers and 
reveals the raging demigod inside. Yeah, so I thought it was all really convincing, the acting. And, uh, you know, the usual skewering of high school vanities and that kind of thing in the background. So, yeah, all really well acted. I, I gave it, what did I give it? I gave it an eight, I think, for acting. What do you think, Rich? Yeah, I, I liked it also. And they mostly gone on to do pretty decent things. Michael B. Jordan, the guy who plays Steve, he was in a load of stuff. I think he was in Black Panther, wasn't he? I think he was Kilgore, whatever he's called. Sorry, Killmonger in Black Panther. Yeah, I'll give it I'll give it an eight. It is good. How about the plot and screenplay? Plot and screenplay. I mean, mm, it's kind of fresh. Especially in 2012, it was a kind of fresh take on superhero stuff, wasn't mm-hmm. it? In a way, it's become a bit of a cliche now. The What would superheroes really be like? Well, mm-hmm. you know, they'd be dicks, wouldn't they? The one philosopher but the, that These Matt guys were so mention- much more mortal, weren't they, than typical superheroes? They only, had one, they only had one power, and that was it. And they were just flesh True. and blood apart from that. So True. I thought it was great. You know. The one philosopher that Matt never mentioned was Nietzsche, wasn't it? Think. Well, that was it, you know. <laughs> Are we supposed to have come to that conclusion ourselves? Is that- Maybe he hadn't got rid, as an 18-year-old, hadn't got rid- around to reading Nietzsche. Uh, <laughs> it's talking about willpower, you know, evolving beyond emotions and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so Nietzsche would be the obvious choice, wouldn't it? But, you know. Writer's uh, fun, I thought, at times. Okay, I really like the fun aspect of this. And playful but thoughtful was my other observation. So, yeah, and a uh, big, big, Upmark for the fact they use each other's names several hundred times in the movie. So we know who they are. So I we did, know who they are. I mean, I liked the way Andrew as a villain, which is what he ultimately is, mm-hmm. he is given a reason for being villainous. And it's not just that his father was beating him, but that his father was, you know, out of a job, had no money, his wife is dying. Yeah, Andrew's essentially gone mad, hasn't he? He's gone mad, yeah. Yeah. Essentially, everything is well justified, rather than just an out-of-the-blue lunatic kind of being a psychopath. It's all very believable. And it really does happen, doesn't it? People go bankrupt for medical bills all the time in in the U.S., shocking, isn't it? I like like the little, little twists, you know, like the petrol station, gas station blowing up because of Andrew's intervention with the firearm kind of thing. All these kind of little things. There was an attention to detail that was quite satisfying. Mm. All right. So I'll give it a seven for plot. I gave it eight. I thought it was really quite strong. Yeah. Okay. So how about, what's the word? Dedication to the found footage concept. Oh, interesting. I'd never thought about that. Oh, I put him on the spot here. I hadn't thought about that really. Well, unlike Lola... They never really break the spell. In Lola, I think at some point, who's filming this? Who knows? I don't, you know, how are we seeing this? It's not explained. But here, there is an explanation for everything, I think. Every shot, you, there is supposed to be a camera person or a security camera or something that explains why you're seeing this image, why it's being chronicled. So that's good. What I would say is, I don't know whether you noticed this, but there are a number of like jump cuts, like when Matt goes to see Casey at her door, tries to impress mm-hmm. her. There's a couple of times where it just cuts. There was obviously a cut, like they had to call cut, either a scene change or something had gone wrong, or they're splicing together several 
cuts of the same scene. I've noticed them. It's subtle, but I suppose it's believable. It might happen in an actual bit of found footage, but it it's also breaking the spell slightly. I think I'll give it an eight. Strong performance. Yeah, well, this category, I don't know, it's seven, I think. I mean, there are some rather hackney attempts to maintain the pretense of fact. It's contrived, yeah, but yeah. I'm giving them points for the contrivance. The contrivance, okay, seven points. Yeah. You make oh, point. Fair enough, then. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any more categories? Well, uh, effects, yeah. generally. Oh, the special effects. Effects of on a budget of 18 million. Effects. Really good. Really yeah. good. Subtle. Subtle and, and well done. Very few bits that I really thought didn't work. Yeah, I'll give it a, definitely give it an eight here. A nine from me. Oh. Generally speaking, I have to think, where has this movie been hiding? Because it did well at the, the box office, but then did it disappear? I mean, it's not become a cult classic, has it? It's really fresh. It's a wonderful take on the superpower superhero genre and full of intricacies and details that make it really pleasing to watch. Hey, mm. all of that said... It feels like a story that's now been told and retold. And maybe uh, 10 years ago it might have seen... I mean, it's a little bit like The Watchmen, isn't it? Talking about the reality of superheroes. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'll give it a seven. I'll give it a seven. Oh, I was much more impressed. With Technically, it's very well made, but I'm not mm. sure it's saying anything really new. No, it isn't. But I, I, I think it's accomplished at what it does. And a grainy take on superpowers... Always welcome in my book. I have to go uh, overall score of nine on this. Oh. Yeah, I loved it. Well, well chosen, Paul. Because I think that was your choice, wasn't it? It was, indeed. All right, all right. For next week, then, we have pre-discussed a number of movies. Uh, Let me throw them at you, Richard. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. The first one is White Settlers. Intriguing. 2014, I think. Okay. About people moving to Scotland and becoming something like crofters. Okay. okay. White settlers. Okay. Okay. Can I read my writing? Power of the dog. Dog. 2021. Don't really know much about that. Well, it's a western. Paul. Last week, ah, I think it was last right. week. You were talking about the fact that we haven't really done any western. Semi requested a western. You're right. Yeah. So I added a western. I don't think it's an ordinary western. Though. I think it no. might be quite surprising. It's to do with winning over somebody's love or something like that. I think. Okay, Ashgrove, two thousand twenty-two, recent, but not found footage. I don't think. I failed to wheedle or wheedle in or, or, or work in any found footage movies for next time. If we were to continue in this vein, there are your choices, Rich. Of those three, of those three, Paul. I think, yeah, the Western, The Power of the Dog, is about to be removed from Netflix in the United Kingdom. Oh, dear. So I think we should watch it before it gets removed on the flimsy pretext that anyone listens to this podcast to work out what they're going to watch. And maybe they can catch it before it goes forever. Power of the Dog it is, then. The Power of the Dog, starring Benedict Cumberbatch. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, that will be next week's film for the second episode of Season 4 of Drive-By Cinema. Thank you for listening. listening. Ciao for now. See you on the next one. Goodbye. Bye.
Thank you.